Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Le Foam, where we come together each week to discuss gems of the cinematic industry. And I'm your co-host Richard Lay, and here with me today is uh, Tyler Cunningham, Kevin Carpio, <laughs> Patrick. And this is a special episode because we actually have a very special guest. Huge fan of the pod. <laughs> Biggest fan of the pod. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Abby, everyone, and I'm very excited to be a part of this conversation today. Yes, welcome, Abby. And in this week's episode, you actually chose the movie for us today. Yeah. And it is the 2019 Taika Waititi film Jojo Rabbit. I, I don't think I can do this. Ross, of course you can. Sure, you're a little bit scrawny and a bit unpopular, and you can't tie your shoelaces even though you're ten years old, but you're still the bestest, most loyal little Nazi I've ever met. Not to mention the fact you're really good-looking. So you're going to get out there and you're going to have a great time, okay? Okay. That's the spirit. Okay. Hail me, man. Hail Hitler. What? You can hail me better than that. Hail Hitler. No, just throw it away. Don't even think about it. Heil Hitler. No, you're overthinking it. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Who's Hitler? Do you even speak German? Heil Hitler. That's not a Heil. This is a Heil. Heil. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Ooh, that's it. You got it. Heil Hitler. Have a great day. Heil Hitler. You're going to be the best. Heil Hitler. You can do it. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Heil Hitler. Want to tell us a bit about yourself and why you picked this movie? Yeah. So, um, I actually saw this movie in theaters in the old Tower Theater in Sac with my sister, and um, I, I was uh, pleasantly surprised, as Pat and I talked about earlier. Um, yeah, I didn't have m very many expectations with this film. I just kind of went into it blind, and I was like, wow, okay. Kind of like got to me the first time I saw it, and. Um, I don't know, it just came across my mind lately, and it is a kind of historical fiction film, and or not kind of, it is, <laughs> and um, I am a history teacher. I was going to say, so wait, wait, let's I'm get some background really, info. Really? Yeah, okay, <laughs> some okay, background yeah. Info. So, so, so hold on, Abby, that's my fiance. <laughs> <laughs> my boo, my boo dad. <laughs> In the Before Sunrise episode, the Metallica oh bragging about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Damn it, my bad. Sequel. Anyway, anyway, so yeah, I um, yeah, I got my degree in history. It's I'm obviously interested in the subject, and I just love um, historical fiction. It's fun, you know. It's the fun side of knowing where they're at and being able to immediately relate to whatever time period shows up on the screen, you know, or in the book in your hands. So, um, I, I'm just a big fan of historical fiction and, um, Taika Waititi. I've learned to love him in the last couple of years. And, um, yeah, I just have a lot of respect for the work that I've seen. I haven't seen all of it. Um, but yeah, it's just a really interesting take on, um, some things that you might, think would be stereotypical Hollywood and then it surprises you in you know stepping out of that box a little bit more than you would think so yeah I just this film had an impact on me when I first saw it and I wanted to revisit that it's <laughs> awesome yeah so for everyone who uh, 
that don't know what Jojo the Rabbit is, it's um, according to Letterboxd, it's a, a World War II satire that follows a, lo- a lonely German boy whose worldview is turned upside down when he discovers his single mother is hiding a young Jewish girl in their attic. Aided only by his idiotic imaginary friend Adolf Hitler, Jojo must confront his blind nationalism. Blind nationalism. I like that. Yeah. It's a big theme, I would say, for this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe current times. I was going to say, <laughs> I'll get there. <laughs> and what I like is that, um, you know, for Jojo, it isn't like, it isn't like his family or anyone else influenced him to like be who who he wanted to be which is a nazi but it's like his environment it's where he grew up it's where he had his education and um yeah he is a really vulnerable character in this Mm -hmm. film and they kind of like put you in that perspective which i thought was an interesting kind of flip the script on the general movie about nazis film you know it's a different take yeah the main the main lead is really good and i feel the trailers because i hadn't seen this until this episode but i felt the trailers showed far too much and like i didn't get the vibe from the trailers that the movie was the movie is Hmm. i think that's why myself i was so hesitant or even like being a bit of a contrarian of like, oh, this is getting all the buzz and the big talk. I'm going to skip this one because I'm sure it's not that good just because of that. But uh, I was very proven wrong. I really enjoyed this one. Nice. <laughs> yeah, I, I saw this one in theaters when it first came out. At the same theater, too. At really? Tower. Yeah, I love that theater so much. Um, That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I saw it and I, I had very much the same reaction like, you know, seeing trailers and stuff, I was I was already, like, formulating a narrative in my head about it because I felt, like, the same way, like, they showed way too much. And I was kind of curious about how they, or what sort of tone they were going to, in what direction they were going to go in with bringing in um, Taika as the fictionalized version of Hitler mm-hmm. as, like, being um, Jojo's kind of imaginary friend. And I thought that that was pretty unique and quirky, and I felt from the trailer it was going to head in almost this um, cartoonishly wacky mm-hmm. version of it. And they kind of do that to some degree, but at the same time, they also there's a lot of heart that's put into it as well. And I definitely came out of it pleasantly surprised as well. And I thought it was very charming and very endearing. Um, it reminded me of, um, like how a few, or just uh, the other movie that we've discussed that takes on a similar perspective of the eyes of a child during wartime mm-hmm. um which is spirit of the beehive i felt like with this one it's just another take on that same perspective which we don't get a whole lot of in most movies and i love being reminded of those of just how of how trivial war is mm-hmm. and how like it was brought up earlier with blind nationalism, it's it's crazy how that's just passed on to uh, generations as they grow up, and mm-hmm. they just sort of take it because that's all they've ever known. So yeah, I, I really enjoyed this movie as well. 
Yeah, I think, uh, Abby, you're the one who showed me this movie. Mm-hmm. And that was your second time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, second, that, is, that, is, viewing, that doesn't yeah. mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Uh, but yeah, I love the movie, too. It's just, like, I am so used to certain Nazi movies, like Schindler's List, um, honestly, like, uh, I haven't watched a whole lot, but like Inglorious Bastards, everything is just, you know, it, this is a super like unique take on a Nazi film. And I know there's certain people who say that like this movie humanizes Nazis and that that's a problem, which I don't think it is. And I don't think it necessarily humanizes Nazis either, you know, like it's a very like satirical approach to like their mindset mm-hmm. and but it's like it also makes sense because like that's literally the propaganda that they were fed at the time yeah and like some of like the stuff they say about jews how they like like whatever hang upside down when they sleep like bats (laughs) like it's like i don't know if that was a thing that you know they actually said but i'm like there were i know there were like rumors and whatever propaganda out there that was you know fed to them that was that actually happened, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, can, can you I elaborate chime in? on that? Can I chime yeah, in, chime in, please. In on that. Yeah. <laughs> so that's part of why I love this movie because you say it's humanizing Nazis and people criticize this film for that, but Nazis were humans. They were real people who who chose to do what they did, and that's like it's bringing you to this other perspective of the equation. Like, what does propaganda do to people? It's real. And it's alive today. It's still a thing. And like you said, like they say these crazy things that when we hear them, we kind of laugh about it now because we're like, that's so ridiculous. But that is propaganda. It's, it's ridiculous lies. But it's, they find a way to put it in your brain in a way that justifies doing the things that you do, you know? And so it, it's, it's literally a form of mind control. It is. And this film really like brings that aspect of propaganda to life where like people do fall into this craziness, right? People fall into these believing in these, this outlandish thing. If you normalize it, right? If it's what everybody's doing and if you're going to die, if you don't believe it, then like, what is your choice? You know, I don't know. Sorry. Okay. But oh, that's no. what I'm, I'm, I'm loving the direction of where this episode is going. <laughs> <laughs> No, I think it's so cool that you bring up that stuff too. I mean, because I mean, you're, you've obviously like stud you know, a great deal about history because that's like what your, your profession is in and everything. And I think that just having that additional perspective of like context and everything is just so beneficial when it comes to watching any sort of movie that deals with, um, a, when it was made be what sort of impact it had at the culture at the time mm-hmm. and also see, um, if it's a period piece, also that time period being portrayed in this kind of new perspective. I don't know. I think that that's so fascinating because context is so important when it mm-hmm. comes to everything. Mm-hmm. And we do have a new perspective on it with what's happening around us, especially this year. It's so highlighted mm-hmm. in this um, political realm that we're in right now, right? Yes. What is real and what is not. And it's a, it's it's interesting that it's, in this time period in the forties, you know, when they didn't have the mass media like we have now. And now it's like, we live in a world where it's like, what is true and what is not. You really, it's, it's hard to know. 
And even back then, the way that they were doing things, it's hard to know, right? What's real and what's not, what's true and what's not. What do you choose to believe? All you know is what the people around you tell you to believe, right? Uh, sorry. <laughs> no, this is, this is great. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> you know what I um, love about Taika Waititi as a director is that he understands the conventions of a genre film. And I like the, the scene in which um, Jojo meets, uh, I believe her name is, is Elsa yes. mm-hmm. for the first time. Mm-hmm. And it, I like how they play around with the convention of like the horror film. Mm-hmm. It, ran, it reminded me of like the ring or like yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. Where the girl is like coming the out. Down the fingers, yeah, and he's yeah. just like totally freaked <laughs> out. And because he truly believes like if it's a Jewish person right. or a ghost, he's just freaked out yeah. no matter what. Um, that to me is like really endearing because it really puts you in the perspective of exactly through being his a ten year old, yeah. yeah. And um, and yeah, I think the performances from yeah the the kid actors and from everyone else, yeah, really um, sold this film. Uh, you talked about how this was different than normal, uh, like Nazi narrative films that we generally see out of Hollywood. And I kind of wanted to touch on that, uh, or talk about how um, I feel like a lot of people, like you guys, maybe when you first saw this trailer, you're like, oh no, another one, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And, um, And we have those thoughts or feelings about movies like this because of experiences like, for me, maybe Operation Overlord, where, I don't know if you guys saw that movie, but, um... I was kind of, like, really down for it when I went into the theater and I came out being like, Nazi zombies? Really? (laughs) Like, ah, okay. You know, but, um, and it was just nice to, like, see a Nazi Hollywood movie, I guess, because we have this obsession with the righteous war and America being on the right side of things (laughs) sometimes, I guess. I don't know. Um... (laughs) But it was still different, right? So it kind of flipped the script on us, where it made us see through the lens of, like we talked about, of a young boy who's super vulnerable to, you know, everything around him. And that just makes me think about, um, you know, the propaganda that he's seeing. A lot of it is coming from his education, right? Like he's going to school to learn how to be a Nazi. And that was so real. Um, And... It just another connection with what's going on now in modern times. Our president um, made an announcement about um, how he wanted to uh, shift the direction of the curriculum of education to be geared more towards patriotism and nationalism and less towards um, learning about the social injustices of our history as a country, as a nation. And that just really resonated with me in this film, that it was like an interesting parallel of how controlled their education was in Nazi Germany at that time. And um, it kind of like snapped you into like, this is what it looked like then. It could happen again, you know. I've seen, I've seen people say that we're in a kind of a, is it Myanmar Republic state? Like the socialist progressive Mm -hmm. Republic before the rise of Nazism. Mm-hmm. I've seen people saying that about the current, like our social policies and social stuff is very progressive. Mm-hmm. 
but like class and wealth distribution, where it's distributed is, is very parallel to the rise of Nazis, where there's a growing disenfranchised feeling groups that's ready to eat up propagandized nationalist rhetoric. And I think from something we've all seen a bit parallel to the movie is like uh, the war on terror in our lifetimes. I've been doing some more kind of reading into that. And it's one of those things where it's scary to look back. It's so it's a bit scary to look back to the early 2000s and the uh, the nationalistic fever that was everywhere. I think we we're all pretty much too young to be like fully waving the flag, but like when you think back about the news back then and just the coverage of everything, and even something like the anthrax scare, I think about five or four. I was reading up on that. And it's been pretty much confirmed that those killings from the anthrax are connected to like laboratories in the US and it's very much like a clear-cut case of artifi artificial creation of an enemy by our own government only a couple years ago and it's just so this movie's a bit of a scary insight to like we've kind of seen the stuff that's happened happening in this film and with the way things are currently going and there's a feeling it's only getting worse we may be on the crux of something. I wouldn't think so. I think our tech overlords would keep us in check. But I don't know. Could Nazism rise in a postmodern world? It's so. It's a, we're entering uncertain waters. It feels like. That's a great question. Could Nazism rise in a postmodern world? Or would it be? Yeah. Would we? Be, would we be able to recognize it? I don't know. I think we would. I think. Well, I think every round of this type of thing comes in a different shape and form. So some people recognize it, some people don't. Yeah. It's like a different evolution of it. So you talked about um, finding that enemy. And um, I just, again, another parallel with what's going on. Like you're saying, um, this is uh, leading up into, you know, this type of historical moment, right? And um, we were warned about this after this war that this film takes place in. We were warned about the military-industrial complex, or industrial-military complex, whichever. And um, we were warned about what it would do to our society, and it totally happened. McCarthyism, and we were constantly trying to find the enemy because we were addicted to, like, being that savior nation and, and being fighting the righteous war that saved our economy literally and like war is good so now go out and find an enemy to fight a war against you know and it's like we're always searching for something to hate because hate does unite people it unites a certain group of people who are looking for that enemy constantly yeah, it's a harrowing reminder of just just the tribalism that's naturally ingrained in our society as a whole like ever since I'd imagine, like, early on in evolution. Yeah, literally, not even society, but, like, humans. Yeah. It's human nature. It, it's, it's literally written in our DNA to band together in some sort of group to face, a, once again, a common enemy. And when we don't have an enemy, what do we do? We find it within ourselves or mm -hmm. within other people. Like, we project our own ideals onto them. And, I don't know, like... 
it's so scary to even see like modern day groups or hate groups that believe that they're in the right. Like you have like the proud boys right now Mm -hmm. in Portland and stuff. And it's, I saw like an interview on it and it's, it's terrifying. Mm -hmm. It's genuinely terrifying because you have people on the streets who are genuinely, this is their zealotry. This is their war. This is their calling. And here they are wanting to inflict not only violence, but their own ideologies and suppress a group that isn't playing the same tactics or anything like that. And they're just demonizing people and they're being fed all this propaganda that they believe to be true. And yeah, I, I genuinely believe that I'm, I'm in agreement and like, this is the first steps towards becoming a, like any sort of branch of fascism, authoritarianism, totalitarianism, dictatorship, like we're at the precipice of that. And yes, this movie is terrifying because it shows how it happens, Mm -hmm. especially the children, because it's like, they just grow up believing this stuff to be just, Oh, this is what I do. Like they, they question it at first, but then they get used to it. It's terrifying. (laughs) Bouncing off of what you said earlier, Patrick, about, like, the anthrax scare, I remember um, my own grandparents, like, they moved here from Vietnam in, like, the late 70s, early 80s, you know, after, like, the war, and, you know, for me to see, like, what kind of news or what kind of outlets they they listen to, you know, it's not like they listen to CNN or they listen to Fox, they listen to, like, their own, like, Vietnamese, like, propaganda, so that even affects, like, what they really believe is going on. One time I'm about to get the mail, and they're like, watch out, like, don't get the anthrax when, you know, be careful when you open up the packages. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, what? You really believe this? Like, I'm, I'm just minding my own business, and this is happening. Like, where are you getting all this, like, crazy stuff? Like, you don't really believe that. But, um, no, like, we are... We manufacture our own, like, fears and our own anxieties and, like, our own lives. Like, even though they came over here and they became Americans, they're still kind of hypnotized or, like, um, manipulated by their own, like, research and their own propaganda. Like, they listen to whatever is convenient to them and they believe whatever is convenient in the moment. And, you know, sometimes, like, getting knowledge is not free. And you have to look for it. It's not just listening to CNN or listening to Fox. It's Mm -hmm. like finding other um, outlets and seeing what is like the real like reality or the real truth. Absolutely. At least trying more than one thing, right? Mm -hmm. More than one source. This reminds me of uh, the first trailer impressions. There was a bit of that dismissal because not because i've seen like schindler's list or the pianist like i do still enjoy those movies they're very riveting dramas but it's just something about like you said what was the phrase you said like i know the eternal or the the righteous enemy or yeah fighting the righteous war yeah right because like world war ii is like the most clear cut like there's a right. there's one side's doing genocide and the other one's not good Where, versus evil yeah in the right? first world war there was also a smaller genocide ongoing but we don't romanticize that one as much, even though films like Wonder Woman and I think a bit of what was that Nolan film that came out recently? Tenet. Oh wait, no, nineteen, no, uh, nineteen seventeen. Yeah. Yes, yeah. that one was another one where I watched that. It just felt like this isn't. 
with other wars and conflicts, I feel, there's like a feeling you need to put it more realism or just the horrors of war feel more apparent. But when you go to World War II, it feels more clean cut, like almost Disney-ish, where it feels going back to like our the way we propagate our patriotism and our role in that war of being the good guys against the evil guys like we see reinforced in Hollywood media and movies all over the place. When I saw the trailer for this one, I thought it was like, okay, it's going to be a comedy where it's just like dunking on Nazis for two hours. Like I, I see like, I've seen Save Private Ryan. I've seen like better movies or like more gory movies about killing Nazis. I'll skip this one. And then what I watched was something completely, not unique, but it was, it was a completely different perspective than I assumed walking into it. And it reminds me of a, it doesn't remind me, but another film similar to Address World War II like that is Europa by Von Trier. That is such a unique perspective because I believe Von Trier is German, right? I think he's Danish. Danish? Mm-hmm. Okay. I may have just jump the gun on the Von Trier. And the fact that he says Dogville mm-hmm. was a film that helped, helped him understand Hitler. He said... Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, Pat he's also made some pretty controversial... <laughs> Well, you know what? You just about Hitler. Hitler. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know. I think he said some pretty, like, <laughs> bombastic stuff, but yeah, he can be criticized for about the whole Holocaust thing. And, uh, I don't remember the, the quote or anything. I just remember he mentioned some stuff and he's been really criticized for that. So. Yeah, I've seen that in relation to Dogville. I've seen him say that. Like, I think Kidman's character is like a bit of an allegory towards the end, especially. So like a rise of fascism and the way she militarily carries out her form of justice and order on the people. Yeah. And that, but Europa, it's, I think it's another film, 2003 or 99. I forget which date exactly, but it was such a unique perspective because it's about America, an American German who goes back to fresh post-war Germany. And then you see more of a defeated German perspective and there's, sympathizers is non-sympathizers but there's a general punishment being given to the complete german people mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, yeah like films don't often explore that and i it's a bit towards the ending but this film kind of does the opposite of that which was one of the big strikes for me it's like once something happens it's all not sunshine and rainbows but it's like the day is saved and it's like mm. they've been the nazis have been stopped and the genocide won't continue and the regime will fall that is a good thing, but there's people behind all of that as right. well, and there there's people left behind. There always is. Yeah. And everywhere, right? And then, yeah, it just feels like when we see a Nazi movie or a World War II movie, it feels very more it's going to be good, bad, good ones, or maybe a sad, bad ones. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to reaffirm or reaffirm our values. Yeah. And this one does. It does enough different stuff. Jojo, there's a lot of imagery and a lot of gut punching moments that I would still recommend it thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this film has a lot of memorable, like, three-dimensional characters. There, there aren't caricatures, there aren't, like, just typical stereotypes of, like, a Nazi or a Jewish person. Like, they even make references to what each side is about, and that's where JoJo is learning about what it is to be a Jewish person. And when he talks to Captain K about how do you, sp- sp- you know, how do you spot a Jewish person? 
he's like, you know, it could be any one of us, you know. It just says so much about, like, you know, you kind of just create that yourself. Like, yeah. I like that perspective because it really humanizes Captain K. Like, he doesn't necessarily want to be in the situation. He's kind of a, like a failed commander. That's mm-hmm. what I like about this as a comedy is like they play around with that mm-hmm. he's not perfect like he <laughs> I think he's my favorite army. character like, he could lead an well, army well him and so he, his yeah. partner oh yeah right yeah. Like, <laughs> he can lead his own army so he has to teach kids but even then he's kind of like failing at that as well <laughs> so uh, and he lost an eye and he's handicapped but he's still he's working on these offices and <laughs> yeah um, I love Sam Rock Sam Rockwell, like he's a terrific uh, character actor. And um Rebel Wilson and Scarlett Johansson does a really great job even though um they all have limited uh screen time but every time they're on screen they, they make it worthwhile. They make make it memorable and yeah, everyone has their own quirks that you latch on to. Mm-hmm. So I really liked his little his friend. Yorkie? Yes. <laughs> yeah. His best friend. Or his number two best friend yeah. in the world. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Behind Hitler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even those moments in the beginning um, were really great. And I kind of did miss that for a little bit because you don't see Yorkie for a time and until later on and they have their moments again. But, um, yeah. I love the depiction of a sweet... Um, innocent like boyhood friendship mm-hmm. you know I feel like boys these days just aren't that genuine with each other you know <laughs> but it's like when you're two ten-year-old boys living in um, a war zone you might appreciate your friends a little bit more <laughs> right yeah. with them at the end this isn't a spoiler at all with the bazooka oh yeah it's <laughs> like He's like, oh, Jojo! And then he drops it as a kid. He shoots it into the building. His, his uniform is made out of paper-like material. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the depiction of Adolf Hitler by Taka Waititi. Oh, yes. Let's talk about really, that. Like, I don't know. I read that he was very uncomfortable playing the role. Okay. But the way he went about it like seemed really... Um, I don't know, somehow fun, yet dark, but, like, whimsical still. And, yeah. It felt like there was a switch. Um, and it, it it makes sense when you think about it as being, this is a child's impression of Hitler, but also his imaginary best friend. <laughs> so Taiko had the challenge of, or Taika had the challenge of playing both of those roles in one character. And I thought he did it brilliantly, honestly. I think there's also a lot of pressure of, like, I don't know, just how, like, people will react to that role, you know? Like, you're portraying a playful version of Hitler, like, <laughs> the most hated person in, like, modern Western history. Culture, yeah. So, that's, yeah, it makes sense if you were to be, like, nervous and uncomfortable playing that role. But he did do it, I think, great. And I love the... uh like, the transition, how you see, like, JoJo's transition of, like, how he adores Hitler and then as he meets uh, Elsa and, like, kind of, like, sees the world from, like, 
a Jewish perspective and like just like what's actually going on and like from his mother's perspective. What's his mother's name? Rosie? Yeah. Rosie, Rosie. yeah, from Rosie's perspective. Um and how his imaginary depiction of Hitler kind of fades away towards the end of the film and he you know, like he like his mom tells him throughout the film, like, you need to grow up, but not like grow up like become an adult, like grow up like you need to be like a ten year old kid. You shouldn't be talking about politics and being like Nazi and all these things like just like I don't know be a kid and yeah it's just an interesting um like transition of how he realized what was actually going on Mm -hmm. towards the end of the film yeah I like that uh Taika he's Mm -hmm. not I don't think he's not explicitly playing Hitler clearly so I think the burden I'll like if you still felt that burn, like the character is very, it's much, it's very much like a Jojo's psyche, and his personification of Hitler, and it's never really the Hitler. Mm-hmm. It's very much, it, yeah, and I think it. Except for it, those couple scenes, right? What scenes? When he flips on the Hitler switch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. that's to, like that's still like of lack yeah. of better words, like. But I think, like even that, that's like that's like Jojo's. Radicalism, mm-hmm. True. the death throes of it, mm-hmm. especially when it comes towards the end, and then the final confrontation. Right. And yeah, it's like yeah, it parallels JoJo's inner war as well as the actual war in ways where it's he's very cocky and sure of himself. Hitler's strutting around JoJo, and at the end, yeah, <laughs> at the end he has some special makeup on him. Okay, right. <laughs> You know, I did really appreciate the whimsical Hitler moments, though. I did. Like, you can't help but laugh when you when Jojo walks in his room and Hitler is laying in his bed like, yes. well, you two are getting cozy. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, yeah, that's what I was like. It's clearly not Hitler. It's right. clearly like, right. Hitler, like, <laughs> like Jojo's like, he's, out, he's, in spending his t- he's enjoying the time together with her. And so Hitler's kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I see that as um, Adolf Hitler, like, he's pretty much fills, like, his ego. Like, that's his, he's talking to his ego. Mm-hmm. That's right. him at the end of the day. When he's done, like, with all his daily stuff, he comes home and he, he's with Adolf Hitler. That like, he lives with that. Mm-hmm. He dreams that. Um, that's how I see it, yeah. I mean, Adolf Hitler, you could say, is their, was their deity, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I felt like I grew up in a very Christian, religious household. And I felt like God was with me and watching me all the time and... You know, I was taught to ask him what to do with problems and and know that he's with me throughout my day. You know, like, I don't know. I can't help but see the parallels there of, of a child feeling like you have that person that you, like, can talk to, I guess, if you want to. And then some kids just really go for it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, with that being said, I feel like we should move on to uh, give our ratings. We usually do out of five stars, so okay. we're going to give a rating out of five stars, just pretty much from our all of our initial impressions. Um, who wants to start? I can start. Uh, I give the film a 3.5. It did a lot of unique stuff. The comedy's great. Uh, my only grievances are personal ones I have maybe nitpicks even, and I hope to go into them more during the spoilers. Yeah, for me, I give it a, a 4.0 out of 5. 
um, it really got me towards the end. And I'm just like, okay, this is a turning point for me. Um, yeah, I really love the uh, supporting characters. Like Scarlett Johansson's uh, Rosie was terrific. Like every moment you felt with her, she was just in it 100%. And um, yeah, I really got that emotional side from JoJo because of her alone. And um, yeah, I love like Captain K and his uh, assistant and I love all uh, Rebel Wilson's character who just chimes in at the like the right times for comic relief <laughs> um yeah and then even down to um Elsa who's a really great like deal of the story you get that humanity from her and I thought that those performances were really underrated um yeah I know like not every joke is gonna land with you um if you don't connect with that um, side of, you know, um, JoJo's perspective, but I really liked it enough, and I'm glad you picked this movie, and it's it's up there for, like, Taika Waititi's, like, best films. I'll give it a four out of five, too. Uh, just like you said, like, every, all the actors, uh, uh, the boy who played JoJo, uh, Scarlett Johansson, Sam Rockwell, are all, like, so good and then I just love like the play like the playful take on Nazism and like just like making fun of like nationalistic tendencies in like society <laughs> I think it just ties so well into what's going on today in certain people uh but yeah um and it's just really funny film I love Taika Waititi like his comedy is just like, my exact style of comedy, like, just, like, stupid, but, but still, like, you know, there's, like, some deep meaning in the stupid, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, it just, it hits, it hits good, so, yeah, I give it a four out of five. Not trying to uh, be the same, but I also give it a 4.0. Um, this film is, um, diverse and, it makes you think, it makes you laugh, it makes you cry. And, you know, you feel all the feels, but by the end of the movie, it was entertaining overall, you know. And um, it's doesn't have a perfect wrap-up, tie-the-knot ending, I would say. But um, you still feel, like, I don't know, good about the experience, right? And... Um, yeah, I don't want to give away any more than I already have, but obviously I love historical fiction, and this was a comedy fun twist on that. I'm going to give this movie a 3.5. I, I am a huge fan of satire. I think that it's like a lost art in some way, and I feel like it's a very important genre to keep alive because all it does is spark up the vigil... vigil Talentism in a in our own perspectives of you know actually having some sort of moral compass and having some sort of ideals that we strive for and also being able to make fun of ourselves at times too because it um, I don't know I, I think that it's really powerful when you can incorporate that sort of stuff because it shows that you live in a society that allows you to do that. Um, even with that one movie that we watched a while ago, Confessions, like, 
like being able to have that sort of freedom to create something where you can make fun of uh, a country's past or a certain figure. I think that that's an incredible thing to be able to do as just any person living in a society. And, um, and like what Pat said, there are some things that, that like some grievances that I had with the movie. Um, but I think that we'll probably like get into it later. Um, the one thing that I will say is that it had some really good points and I just wish that they would have hit upon them a bit more because they were like right there and it's like, go all the way with it. But otherwise, like I genuinely enjoyed this movie. This movie was like, I think that this movie, I'm, I'm glad that it exists and that people like it has like such wide praise and, um, like every person I speak to, they, they love this movie. And I think that that's so great because it's like, Hey, we all get this. Like, this is a universal movie for them. I mean, it, it's, relatively universal with that makes sense at all <laughs> it's bringing people together right? yeah, yeah yeah and i think that that's powerful and i think that that's great and that's that's like the thing that won me over with this movie especially so yeah thank you for picking this it's so great <laughs> all right spoiler time sure yeah so with that being said um if you listen to us so far i mean if you haven't seen the movie, you should watch the movie. Um, it's available to stream on like YouTube and Amazon. Uh, I'm not sure if it's, it's on H. On it's on HBO. HBO Max, right? Yep. So yeah, it's like the perfect movie to watch right now during quarantine and just to lift your spirits um, during like harsh times. It's still absolutely relatable, even though it's a a period piece satire, and it still hits home. Mm-hmm. Um, not everything is as black and white as it seems and it's up to you to like see you know the in-between and the gray areas and I like that this film did that so I just hope that you know like people humans have been through some crazy stuff and we've survived and improved somehow you know so whatever you think is happening now or going to happen gives you a little sense of hope that, you know, we can move on from this, we can get better. It's crazy! And now Hitler's gone, we're really on our own! What? You didn't hear? He's dead. He gave up and blew his brains out. No. That's impossible. Blew them out. His brains. Turns out he was hiding a lot of stuff from us! Doing some really bad things behind everyone's backs! I like that the film doesn't pull any punches when it gets to the uh, the scene where Jojo is walking down the street and he sees like the shoes. Rosie shoes and you just remember that scene because even before that when he was the last time he was hanging out with her um yeah she was dancing and you see her shoes and she jumps off and she tries to ride away with him and their bikes mm-hmm. and you just remember that and you're just like 
Wow. The shoes were a big theme in this and, mm -hmm. and dancing, right? You know, there's that line that they say something along the lines of, um, you can dance when you're free, right? Mm -hmm. When you have freedom. Um, and yeah, for them to, you know, put place that in our minds along the way. And that's one of my favorite scenes in the movies when they're hanging out together and she's saying, kid, you got to live your life. Yeah. Yeah. We're in a war, but like, you never know when, when it's your last day, mm -hmm. you got to enjoy it while you're free and just, you know, yeah. And then immediately on their ride home, they just see these wounded soldiers returning from this brutal war that they, it's very real reminder of, you know, be grateful for what you have. Yeah, and then she she instructs them to go see their mothers. Mm -hmm. Go kiss their mothers, yeah. yeah. Because they lived, and it's her and her son out for a role during the countryside. Yeah. I love the visual cues they give with uh, Sorello Jansen's character in her shoes. Mm -hmm. I, I fully didn't see that part coming with the big reveal is. Mm. But that's still one of my, that's one of my grievances because it's so, it feels too early in the film. It feels like the last, I don't even know how long it is, but it's just a roller coaster of serious moments. And then we go to lighthearted brevity, then back to serious, then back to lighthearted, then serious one more time, and then lighthearted, and then the film kind of ends. It is, yeah. It's like, oh, I think if they would have condensed it, it would have felt less like a roller coaster. I felt like even a roller coaster within scenes. Like the scene when. Um, He's complaining about how he misses his dad or something, and she's like, "You want your dad?" And oh, then yeah. puts the you know chalk on her face, or, or and it's like a roller coaster. You're like, "Whoa, this just got really real." And then all of a sudden, she's getting him to dance again, you know. And then he lays his head on her shoulder, and it's real again, it's serious. And like watching it a second time, you really get the feeling of like, "Oh man, this is the last time that they hang out," you know. Could be Scarlett Johansson's performance, but I just felt Absolutely. like that was such a that ending was such a not she didn't feel uh, I'm trying to think we don't even see her face for the last scene. It just felt like it had no gravity, which could be the message itself. I don't know though. I disagree because like you see those shots of her shoes. Like, there's probably, I want to say, like, at least five shots of her shoes like that yeah. throughout the whole film. And I feel like it hits you harder because it, it just, like, it, the scene leading up to it, I think, is, like, so like you were saying, lighthearted with that up, music. Yes. And then it's just, like, all of a sudden, boom, you just see her, like, red feet or her red shoes hanging. Yeah. And maybe, I don't know, maybe it's more of a surprise, but I thought it, I thought it hit like it was gut dropping yeah. for me. I kind of like it that it didn't show her face, because I don't know. It just it does hit hard, but like the fact that it's that's not it doesn't feel because he goes then he goes home with his Hitler youth knife and then he stabs Elsa because mm -hmm. he is blaming her. But it feels like that's like it feels like that needs to be more condensed in the end, to like as the cataclyst yeah for his disillusionment and de radicalization. Of the Nazi propaganda machines. Okay, this is the first. This kicks it off everything else. I. It's just see this is one of those things where I'm just nitpicking. Where it's like I remember seeing that scene. I did rewatch it to go back because it shocked me. It's like it came out of nowhere. It felt like. So I went back to the butterfly and scene to see if there's any more cues. And like no, he just stands up into the frame with them essentially. <laughs> and like it hits so hard. I was like, okay, that's 
Yeah, then I'd like, it was like 30 minutes left still. I was like, what? This... Maybe maybe I'm used to it because I'm used to watching Taika Waititi's other work. And in his other film, The Hunt for the Wilder People, it is about a problem child, someone who can only be controlled by like a social worker. And he's like, you know, being adopted by another family, you know, and about like how he doesn't have a maternal figure or like a father figure. In this film, he doesn't have like his his father there because he's supposedly out there in Italy or some, you know, some war out there somewhere. And his mother is fighting in her own ways. fight, And it's the opposite of his ideology. And who who is he supposed to look up to and who does he have? And sometimes this film shows you, like, the what the sacrifices are and, like, what you have to lose when you follow your own, like, radical ideologies that you made up for yourself. I don't know. I thought the film built up her arc really well. And when that happens, to me, it, it hit, hit me pretty hard. The same way it did for when um, Captain K, like, sacrifices himself yeah. for him. And, like, not even just once, but twice for um, yeah. Jojo. Um, so when Tyler, you mentioned how they humanize Nazis, like, well, yeah, this film doesn't try to stereotype every character that it has. Everyone has their own quirks and their own three dimensions. And, um, yeah, I like that about this film. And I like that it doesn't pull any punches. And that toward the end, you really feel for him that he's doesn't have anyone to rely on, you know, except for this person that he can see as his companion or as, like, his older sister, you know? And he's lost all that. It's like, dang. Probably to clarify, I think it didn't hit. I just think it felt so early in the narrative. That big hit felt like so, like they're not even under siege. They're not even like scarcing around for food too much, are they? Yeah, but they couldn't have been already under siege because it was the Gestapo that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so I think it, I, I don't know, for him to be so like, like blind nationalism, I think he needed a hit like that to spin him around and yeah. reconsider things. And like are the bombs? You can't even... take a bigger hit than, than that. <laughs> like are the bombs even in the distance at that moment yet? Probably not. Yeah. I remember feeling the same way. Like when I first saw it and stuff yeah. too. Like, it, like, I mean, yeah, it does just come out of nowhere, and I I felt the same way, and I still do actually. Where, um, it it felt like there was. I felt like although there was like the shot of the shoes, like that was a repeated motif throughout the movie. I felt like she didn't have enough, like I didn't have enough screen time with her as a person, even her on her own, because for the most part, um, she's usually with Jojo or like, um, she's usually with other people in the scenes. Like we don't get a lot of alone time with her. And I feel like had, I'd been given, like, this is just a purely subjective thing. I feel like had I'd been given a little bit more screen time with her, I felt like I could have potentially, like, connected a bit more, and there could have been that just a little bit extra few minutes of screen time to build up that arc a bit more to where it, like, fully connects mm -hmm. for me. And um, obviously it's different for for everyone, but I I, I, feel, I felt the same way. Um, 
but that's not to say that it doesn't it's not executed well because like it's it's very shocking and it does send Jojo on this huge 180 in terms of his ideology because here he has like the, these these idols that he like looks up to and these aspirations and now everything that he's believed in even though he's not even that old but his entire life is is relative to a lie and he has to somehow figure out his his new worldview without a parent which is crazy and yeah that's how i felt about that part i think the reason why the film hit me so hard is because when scarlett johansson was on screen um you remember every scene that she was in uh, every time she was on screen you see her and she looks upset or there's something that's distressing her and you're wondering like oh why is she like this you know like the film is very i guess comedic in its tone but even in the performances like hers like it's very nuanced like the when she um gets into an argument with jojo and he wants his father to be around so she goes and she paints like her face you know with some of the ash and um she pretends to be his dad and she yells at him and that whole like scene in itself is very powerful cuz she's showing him like hey this is i can only be me when i'm here i can't be both i can't be your father and your mother and even a scene like that to me like i thought was built up really well and into like her demise later on and i didn't think that it came too early i think there was just enough of the scenes where like hey i'm in i'm in jojo's perspective i'm not in her perspective i'm only in his perspective for this moment for when i get to be with my mother and she's gone a lot right yeah. and like you and say she, she has this look of something's on her mind always and obviously she's hiding a person in the walls of her house so that has to be you know <laughs> a heavy weight on her shoulders but but like you said like there's we wanted more screen time with her we wanted to know her character more we had that like desire to have that deeper connection with her because she is quite a lovable character but yet it's like that's how jojo feels and you know the gestapo comes to his house and they ask him where's your mom and he doesn't know we don't know you know she's kind of a mystery sometimes and i think that had a lot to add to like this is very much the culture of like you know questioning your neighbors and pointing the finger and also keeping to yourself and not telling everyone your business. One thing that I noticed watching it the second time that I loved was the cut immediately after the shot of her shoes hanging is the cut of like just one of the buildings of the houses and there's a cut out of like two windows in the attic and the wind and the, and the cutouts look like eyes. You know, and it's just like that's how it was at that time like your neighbors are spying on you like you couldn't trust anybody. And like that's who knows, maybe that's like a like foreshadowing of how she got caught as uh you know, like her neighbor just told on her because they thought she might have been like harboring a Jew or whatever and Yeah, because they did visit his house out of nowhere. It was a really intense scene. Like, oh my god, why is he being investigated now, you know? And he's by himself, his mother's not home. So what is he going to do to um not be caught right and i thought that was such a brilliant scene when she just comes out and pretends to be his sister 
And that's another scene where it humanizes, um, you know, Captain K yeah, totally. as a Nazi because he could have, he had reasonable doubt to, like, accuse them of lying and hiding a Jewish person. Oh, yeah. like, <laughs> Sorry. That's <laughs> all right. He said no. <laughs> That's just also just one of those moments where you feel like, dang, what are you supposed to do in that moment, you know? Even when you're harboring somebody or, like, you're just against the, the mainstream message of what's happening in that world, like, how are you supposed to navigate behind that? Um... I don't know, like, how do you survive? And her character was killed, I want to say, just for enemy propaganda? Because mm-hmm. she has, uh, Jojo finds that little piece of paper, like, mm-hmm. was it Berlin Will Fall? Yeah. And she's, like, leaving them in places. And when she's hung up, attached to her dress, or between her feet, yeah. it's, like, stapled onto her clothes. Yeah. Like, oh, she's the one handing these out. She's being hung now. I want to touch on Captain K. I forget how to say his whole last name. He is such... He is one of the... Not better, but his, his character, it's... It feels like a hybrid, of, especially with the Bowie songs in German. He feels like the most, like, German cultural significant. Aside from, like, the guys in Lederhosen. He's like, uh... He just has like a glam rock, androgynous bit feel, especially with his di- costume design at the end. <laughs> and it's such a good payoff. But again, that was in the trailers. I remember distinctly that shot was in the trailers. Really? Okay. And that's just like I remember when it happened on the screen. I was loving it. I was like, oh my! I really wish I didn't see that because yeah. this would have hit twice as hard. Yeah. See, I didn't watch the trailer before I watched the movie. Glad I didn't have any spoilers. <laughs> Yeah, his 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 little arc is so good. His disillusionment from the start with the glass eye. He just shows off like the machismo he's shooting. It's clear he's in a relationship with his protege. I forget what position he was. Yeah. And it's just such a... And then his last noble deed to save Jojo. Right. And I just... One of the things I wish the film would have done... Especially that last scene where it is very much the message. The I think the choir is singing. It's just all the war shot of women, children, and old people on the final days of the siege of Berlin and all that stuff. This was like represent that, which did happen fully. Like there's like a famous image I want to say of a 13 year old sniper, which it's just a kid with a rifle on a tree along a snowy road, like on the outskirts of Berlin, being caught by Russian troops, and he's like no taller than 4'2 or something. Mm-hmm. It's just like a harrowing image of like this is how desperation, desperate the cause is for him now. I really appreciate that it did that, but this is one of those things where it's a nitpick because I know it's a comedy film, it's a big budget, but I have the same nitpicks with like dramas of the same genre. I think you guys all heard me say this a hundred times, like 1917, all that stuff. Like if you're gonna, if you're gonna visually portray war, I don't. I don't want you to hold punches. I want there to be gore. I want it to be 
the juxtaposition of Captain K right. and his glam rock, the absurdist nature of his war regula, which parallels like French World War One costumes before they got caught up to the modern age. Like the first year, they're riding horses against machine guns and stuff like that. Like there is an absurdity to the whole concept of modern war and warfare, as well as the grim cost of it all. I wanted like to see that visually juxtaposed and just like really hammer it home. I felt they could do that, but I could see why the studios or other hands would interfere. Like, no, just right. give a couple of people bloody noses and have them close their eyes on the ground. Right. Instead of just like, yeah, the well, more harrowing. Spend money like they they like they spent. And you've you, got to reach broad audiences. Well, I mean, yeah. hold on, because you can do that. Like, I think Hollywood has spent money on movies where they've shown gore like that, right? Like, like Saving Private Ryan. Right. Saving Private Ryan. Right. Right. Not even 1917. Like, spoiler alert, dude dies, like, on camera. And it's, like, you know, it looks super real. A like, lot he of goes people straight die pale. on camera. No, I know, but it's, like, a really intense scene. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just feel like with this movie, with the premise they're going with from the movie, like, you know, that's like, we're talking about the climax now. It's like, I don't know, from like the whole tone of the movie, you can't, I feel like they just couldn't, you know, immediately go like super gore, uh, yeah. like just cold blooded, like death and murder. But I think, you know, cause it don't, it, I don't, I don't, wouldn't call this a children's movie or kids movie, but like it kind of is, you know? Even mm-hmm. though it's in, in the perspective of a ten-year-old, yeah, it's from like a, yeah. an R-rated film, mm-hmm. is it? Yeah, so like it's really, um, yeah, nuanced and kind of confusing because you're like. But I do agree a, with yeah. you that like, how striking would it be? That everything else from the film to like something <laughs> like that, mm-hmm. that would stay with you forever. Yeah, yeah. That, that's my same. I have like similar sentiments. Like it felt like a. So it wasn't dark enough. Well. I wouldn't say that. No, it, it, felt, more dark. it felt like the rate they film podcasts. It's never dark. It, it felt it like it like it was mentioned earlier. Like obviously, it's a Hollywood movie, and they're spending a lot of money on this sort of thing. So of course, they want to have you know uh, people running out to see this movie and like having it be like a widespread success. So of course, they can't they can't be as explicit and they can't uh, they can't be as Maybe just daring want to. with it. Maybe true, they want to. true. They could like that's another thing too. But I feel like I'm I'm in a similar boat where it's like if you're gonna depict war and you're gonna have a satire mm-hmm. beyond war, you need to show war. I see what like, you're saying. Um, I, to me, it, I mean, it just felt like um like it was very radio friendly, which isn't bad. That's not a bad thing at all. Because even though it's R, it's an R-rated film. Is it R-rated? I believe it is. Yeah, sure. They cuss a lot. But even then, like... I mean, it, there's dead bodies. There's people dying. There's there is, but, shot. like, I see what you're saying, actually, because I think if if you see, like, Scarlett Johansson's character, like, like alive and, like, get hanged and, like, her, maybe her feet, like, mm-hmm. dang, like, twitch, 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 and then she dies or, like, mm-hmm. Captain K actually getting, like, you know, brutally shot, yeah. like there like you see it happen i i see what you're saying that would make it like why not that that i mean because because my my whole reasoning the reason why i feel like this is because like it gets me questioning if this is the type of um material that people are going to correlate with their idea of what war is like like oh um me and my friend are out doing this and then we accidentally like uh, drop a bazooka or that sort of thing and then it's like comical it's like 
No, this shit is fucking horrifying. Yeah. Like, no, I, so yeah, Jojo Rabbit's PG thirteen. Like, yes, oh, yeah. Like, okay. oh my god, why am I laughing at this? Like, that's so horrible. When when uh, Yorkie drops that bomb, he probably killed some people. Yeah, yeah. And but, like, but it's funny in the moment. But then it, it's that you know that dark comedy where you can't help yeah. but laugh in the moment. Well, that's why I say at the climax because it feels like the tone's shifting towards more about yeah. like. Mm-hmm. The German perspective of the struggle and all that. Like, okay, if you're gonna show that, especially with the kids, you yeah, know, filling in. If you're for, gonna show that, show the horror of. Right. They're also they're at war at the same time. Right. Instead of just them visually shooting, and some of them have. Yeah. Like bloody noses. There and, was the one um, pretty long cut um, when towards the end when he's in the middle of the battle scene. The old woman, I think she is sprawled out, and she has like a blood coming out of her. No. Um, I'm just I'm just thinking of the scene that follows. Um, what's his name? The main character. Jojo. 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 Yeah. Um, the scene that follows him throughout the whole battle oh, yeah, scene, yeah. and yeah. he's just seeing like they show, he they turns show, every like, corner, and there's there's mm-hmm. some other crazy stuff, and there's some yeah, more that, crazy stuff. I think and that was he's a just, huge turning point in the, yeah. in the yeah. movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's when everything shifts and it gets real. Like it gets it's there now. The war. And he has nothing left to do except to, to cower under a building and cry to himself. Like, that was like, okay, this is a real war scene. That one felt real to me, but... Yeah. Well, this is why it's like a nitpick for yeah. me. Where it's like, I, like, even Saving Private Ryan levels, I think I'd hammer it home more. Mm-hmm. Just like 1917, like, from the descriptions of those in the trenches, it's like 1917 was nothing reflective of what the horrors were. Yeah. If we're going to do a film like that, mm-hmm. if you're going to build up to the message of that I want to see that versus not see it because it's supposed to be like I want it to be harrowing I want the images to live right. with me forever because that's the gravity it needs so uh, th- there's another movie that I want to bring up called Life is Beautiful it's an Italian movie that it's also a satire where it's this one character who owns a bookstore and we see Italy slowly being overrun by uh, the SS and Nazis and Hitler and everyone. And the entire movie, this character is having, he's the embodiment of optimism in the face of overwhelming, just bleak and dire forces. And I I feel like with that movie, Compared, because they both have a similar tone. They, it's a very lighthearted approach to very grim and horrifying subject matter. But with Life is Beautiful, I felt like it felt a bit different because it was, it showed, I don't know, I I don't know what it is, but it's like my own, my own uh, suspension of disbelief. I, I don't know what it was with this movie. It felt like there was a certain veneer to it which I get and I appreciate. There's nothing wrong with that. But I feel like it sort of distanced me from being as vulnerable as I could have been with the characters. And like I said, that's not a fault. Um, But it's just, it's a a sort of feeling that I personally got from the movie. I want to touch on the Life is Beautiful one. That's such a good point. Because they do show it, right? Yes, they should. Yes. They, yeah. And the juxtaposition of like, it's a they, it's a Jewish father with his son in a concentration camp. He successfully hides his son throughout their duration there. And then I think he secures his son's safety. Mm-hmm. But he's being marched off to be executed. And he does like a comical, yeah. like, just ease like his the, son one yeah. more time. 
And then he turns the wall and they do show it and it just hits so hard where I'm getting a little choked up talking about it because I forgot that scene and, and until the, he brought it up. And the little boy keeps thinking that like he's gonna... He thinks he's playing the character still yeah. that he's been playing for his son the whole time in their yeah. duration. Like he's still playing the game that his dad set up for him. But yeah, he th- the kid thinks they're playing hide and seek in the concentration game. I, I feel like... I, I, I mean, though I've never seen the movie before and I've definitely heard of it. I think that it from what you guys are explaining, it comes down to um, the relationship between Scarlett Johansson and Jojo. Whether or not you believe the relationship between Rosie and her son, and from what you guys explained, it seemed like a similar situation happened where, like, they lose that. They lose that figure in their life. Or, like, but maybe in this perspective, you know, she has one ideology and he, her son has the other. And how, like, that's going to like, twist his idea of, like, what reality really is. Like, is he really living this? Is this really true? Um, I don't know. I'm talking more the fact they show the father. In Life is Beautiful, they show the father. They show him being shot. Right. Visually. Um, But, like, in this film, it feels like the camera goes away from that stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of off-screen, like, the two, like, most... Two of the most beloved Captain characters, Captain, Captain K and Captain both are killed off screen. Right, Rob. I'm, I, I feel like we get enough of it, though. Does it really have to be in our face? Well, and like, it, how much of it do you really need to right. really say it's going to hit you hard? Like, the impact is already there, regardless of it's going to be like explicit mm. or not, or visual. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't have to be like, oh my god, she gets her head blown off. That's when you. I, really I don't know think it. that I don't think that we're striving for wanting to see that though. I think that for me, the reason why I felt like I connected a bit more with, for instance, just these two examples of Life is Beautiful as opposed to this one a bit more is because it felt much more grounded and there were dire consequences. Like you could see the consequences playing out on screen. And you bring up an excellent point, Tyler, of how most of the deaths were taken off screen to where we have to fill in the pieces. You know, we have to we have to determine what actually happened versus what didn't. And I feel like it's, for me, it is, I do, I do need to be shown the consequences of something of here are the rules of this movie. Let's actually show what happens when things go right. And when things don't go right, when things go wrong, it's, it's like a very, I appreciate the spectrum of it all because for every equal thing that goes on in the movie, or for every great thing that goes on, I want to see the opposite of that. Okay. Because it just adds more dynamic range. Yeah. I there's, feel like there's a value, sorry. I feel like there's a value to not knowing everything that happens. Like you said, we're forced to fill in the, the blanks, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel that way reading a book sometimes, too. Because um, it gives you the freedom to create whatever aspect of that story you... It... It makes it more relatable if it's not so much like this is exactly what happened, but it makes it so like you are putting yourself in the shoes of that character and you're imagining what it would be like to lose your own mother. Like it taps that string in your heart. And it really, if, if I don't know, sometimes if it's too specific, then it doesn't reach you as deeply like that, you know, mm-hmm. because we all have our own individual feeling of that moment, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I, why, that's why we don't know what happened to like his father. That's why we don't know what happened to his sister. We can only assume that their absence there means that 
something grave could mm -hmm. have happened to them. And how would you feel if that was you? My trepidation about that, about not showing it, comes from there's a theorist, I can't think of his name right now, but he famously coined the concept of if you, if someone shoots themselves in the head on the public news, when are you supposed to cut that? Which is the most ethical time to cut that? And he would argue, he argued that to not show the suicide or to not show the suicide romanticizes it. To not show someone's death romanticizes the death in mm -hmm. our, no matter what we construct in our head, it's more romanticized than the reality of it. Sure. Just like war is. And that's why the, I think the philosopher said the most ethical way to show it is to show the person kill themselves right. to not, per, to not perpetuate a romanticized version of suicide in someone's head. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think with films like this, when there's, Kevin said there's a veneer feeling to it and why I feel it's a personal nitpick, but when I see a serious film addressing these things, I want it to be like, I want it to be as hard to watch as possible. Just not, I, it's, it's so hard to demand that of films because it's not a realistic request or expectation. I mean, it makes sense considering like the subject matter, of course. You know, if you're going to make a movie about, you know, the people of Germany as their country is collapsing... And yeah, that's where the film also has a bit of that in the end, especially contrasted to like Europa with Von Schur, where there's still Nazi sympathizers. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to go full. I don't know if it's been co-opted by right-wingers, but the bombings of Dresden, as well as the narrative American perspective on Hiroshima and Nagasaki, where it's like, from the West, we have such a... And media reaffirms this, we have such a black and white view of the conflicts like you know like were the atomic bombs necessary were was the bombings of dresden necessary where if you see those images they're harrowing of like the uh fire bombing and the people in the bunkers where this the city was made an oven and there's people in bunkers under that city and you see the claw marks on the walls and it's like okay this is a harrowing inhumane occurrence of war but then like this film i don't know I, I don't know if I'm, what I'm saying is coming up together, but just I want more, and that's me nitpicking something from the film. Yeah, I still enjoyed it. Three point five. It's still great humor and great laughs. Like it, it doesn't carry on the um, the emo. I don't know. I feel like for me, I want to have as much of like the context as possible because I want to know what it was like for a person to live during wartime and to have all of these things happening. And, and I, I want it like, although this movie takes a sort of, um, magical realist approach because of, um, just Jojo's imaginary interpretation of Hitler. And I think that that's on, I guess an argument could be made that, um, the movie is supposed to be this way. And if it is, then I appreciate it because that's, it, it obviously like knew what it wanted to do and it set out to do that. And what did they come out of it with? They came out with a very universal movie that can, you know, that anyone can relate to. But I feel like a little bit of the authenticity is being lost. Like it's slowly being shaved off. Like the details are, are slowly being washed over a bit. And I want to preserve those details as best as possible because it's important to remember history as it was. 
not versus not glossing over the details. And I don't know, because let's, I guess that my worries, what if this is, you know, one of the, the deepest world war two movies that any, or any type of war movie that a person is going to see in their life. And this is the only thing that they have to go off of, of, Oh, what is war like? Oh, it's like this. And I think about like seeing come and see, and then I think about this movie and I'm like, Whoa, like this stuff happened like in world war two. And I don't know, because that's the version of world war two that I think of. Right. But then if that's the, the gold standard of how you should view world war two movies then like, and you have to discount so many other films that try to tackle on that subject because not every film is trying to be like what you said, come mm-hmm. and see. Because mm-hmm. come and see is grueling. It's horrific. Like it, it's an incredibly authentic film. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily mean that every like say for instance Christopher Nolan's um, war film. Nineteen uh, seventeen. Not nineteen seventeen. I don't think um, you made that. No, no, you made that other What's film. The, um, the oh, Dunkirk. Yeah, Dunkirk, oh, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like my criticism of that film is that it wasn't brutal enough or it kind of, I felt like, yeah, like you said, it kind of glossed over some pretty hard hitting sequences in yeah. war. And even though I feel that way, I did not, I'm not necessarily saying it's a bad film, but it doesn't mean that it has to be like Saving Private Ryan, gold standard of this is brutal war and you need to see your comrades get brutalized or messed up or like sometimes that's not the 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 right. main purpose of the film mm-hmm. right sometimes it, like yeah it's set in world war ii but um, there's there are many different aspects of world war ii yeah yeah and it is um i don't want to say asking a lot because that's not what i mean but like um mm-hmm. high expectations for for it to um you know authentically portray every aspect of what it truly meant to be in that time period you know you gotta some like you really just need to focus or else it would be or like the pianist like that movie's not trying to be a satire it was trying to be extremely melodramatic and there are some elements in that film where like wow that was really dark way darker than anything in jojo rabbit but jojo rabbit's trying to be this uplifting satire it's not trying to say not not all like, your entire world isn't completely nihilistic. It's not trying to be a nihilistic film. I think that mm-hmm. there is certain hope at the end. And um, I think similar to, like, a show that's, like, playing now on Amazon is The Boys. It has so many elements of that show um, parallel Judge of the Rabbit in general because it is satire. The Boys is a satire of superhero genre. Mm-hmm. But it's showing the political side of it and how, like, there are real consequences to your actions. Yeah. And um, I think JoJo did a really healthy balance of being dark and being comedic and being satirical. Um, Can we talk about how good at those three things Taika Waititi is? Yeah. It's a, all common themes for his work. And honestly, like, what, what we, we do, do in the, the shadows, shadows. <laughs> I love that yeah. movie. I need to see that one. That's my, that's my favorite one by him. <laughs> yeah. I think he does it, and I think it shows an awareness of film genre in general. Mm-hmm. I think that it's really showing his love for genre. That's what I've stated before. Like his love of like the horror genre and how he makes horror genre fun. Mm-hmm. It's for people that are like aren't 
typically into horror films, but if they want a lighthearted, more of a lighthearted approach, <laughs> you watch what we do in the shadows. Yeah, and I was thinking earlier when you guys were talking about these other movies, I'm like, what an uncomfortable viewing experience. <laughs> and if that's what you like, then that's what you like. That's awesome. But I don't particularly seek out oh. movies that are so raw and gut-wrenching and and um you know it's it, it is an uncomfortable it, for a reason right it, it serves a purpose and you need to watch movies like that but i'm not gonna watch saving private ryan every night i'm just not you know i don't want to feel like that every day i do think it's important for us to um put ourselves in that um space though and really you know soak it in so i do think it's important to watch films like that sometimes you know and I'm not saying that like we should just be pers- just like going on a masochistic experience of <laughs> I just don't being think that's what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <I'm saying laughs> like our lockdown podcast. <laughs> no, I'm saying that like I I just wanted more of a of a balance of like cuz there were so many beautiful moments in this movie, yeah. but I feel like the darker moments didn't necessarily like, it felt like if it was on a scale, it would have been very out of balance in terms of, like, lightheartedness compared to the um, some of the darker moments. I, I was, like, more so wanting an equilibrium okay. of yeah, that. Yeah, that makes sense. Because, because life is like that. Like, there's some really, there's some really absurd moments that are just hilarious in the moment. And then they could just be offset by a very dark thing mm-hmm. that just comes out of nowhere. And... I feel like the dark moments that were there didn't have the same uh, level of attention and detail as some of the the more beautiful moments. Like it didn't feel as developed as it could have been. Mm-hmm. That's that's my yeah. that's my criticism. As it could of, have been. Yes, yeah. as it could have been. Yeah, like the but potential. he might have wanted it to be off balance like that. Yeah. yeah, which is why like I don't necessarily hold it entirely against the movie because mm-hmm. I do get the tone that they were going for, and I appreciate that. I appreciate it for what it is. I think the good balance in that, though, in this story is, like, um, Elsa writing to, um, what's his name? Nathan. Nathan, yeah. And how, like, we find out what happened to him without even them literally, like, telling us every moment about him. Like, you get little details about it. And I thought that the fact that, um, we were left to guess until she mentions it, how he died of tuberculosis was really like gut-wrenching because mm-hmm. you're like oh yeah he could have died at the war or he left or like you know maybe he just abandoned his country and just you know left her but he just died of tuberculosis so like dang you know it is another like, like whoa war is crazy war yeah. sucks on so many levels there's so much more it's 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 the layers it's mm-hmm. never ending i want to say also the context of the world outside of the film I want to say that's another, not the direct context, but like in a post inglorious bastards reception mm-hmm. where like when people don't get that movie, it's, it's, it's alarming to see how coded people are becoming and a film like this comes along and it reaffirms some of that stuff. It's, I just have such a hesitant eye to the messaging and the signif- the signs and signifiers it's giving off where it's like, I just wish we would have done something different or like just don't include it because the film stands on its own and its own merits, but because of the context of other films before it and like the reception of those, like people 
people believe in glorious bastards of film it's just about killing nazis they don't see the irony in it all and it's just like okay well people are getting people are receiving codes so poorly and messages so poorly and we have another film that's kind of reaffirming that where it's just like i i wish you would have changed it to make it challenge more people because it has such a wide audience yeah it's definitely not like i would say a challenging film to uh analyze but it has a lot of depth it has yeah so much depth it's just like there's like so many not so many there's just like certain small things and the greater context from my perspective is like okay like it's not that it's too much or it's just refer it feels like it's just hitting old ground covered before and then the interpretation of that covered ground is like okay it's not representative of the reality and it feels like it's not brainwashing people, but it feels like people are taking away the wrong messages from this without the director's intention or other creation's intentions. And it's just like a little nitpick I have for the film. Mm-hmm. I love the quote at the end. I had the quote up on my phone. Uh, the quote at the end of the film says, let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. Uh, I don't know why I like that quote so much, but I don't know. It just like resonated with me. And obviously that can of course be tied back to people of that time, whether you're on the winning side or the losing side. And just from Jojo's perspective, I like how he, it seemed like he was almost living in terror the whole film, not, you know, fully, but like, I remember there's a scene with him and Rosie where she's taking him out to like go through the town when they like ride bikes and stuff. She's like, he's like, how is it out there? Or like, what is it? Like, is it dangerous? And she's like, extremely. And then like it ties it back to at the end when uh, he comes back and tells Elsa like that the war's over Mm -hmm. or he actually lies about it Mm -hmm. and then lets her out. And then she's, she actually, I'm pretty sure she thinks that like, she believed him, right? Yeah, and then uh, I think so. He like ties her shoe, and I don't know. It was just a cute, like it was a feel good moment. Like homage of, to his mom. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was finally like not afraid and like embraced it. Well, it was like how his mother tried to sugarcoat him. What's going on in the real world? Where he's trying to sugarcoat her because she has literally no idea. Yeah. She's been living in the attic for so long. She doesn't know what it's like to be outside. She doesn't know. What the propaganda is like, mm-hmm. what the media like. She's not being controlled by the media. Mm-hmm. She has nothing. She only has him to rely on as her source and what's happening in the world. And he's using her to like as a source for like what it's like to be Jewish. Yeah. And yeah, they don't have the benefit of like technology now. You know. Yeah. Where we we literally have access to everything to to kind of give ourselves what it's like. To live in the real world. But, like, what is the real world, you know? It's everything that you seek. Mm-hmm. All the information that you seek uh, helps you define what you think it is. Yeah. I like that quote, too, a lot. And um, I like the line, no feeling is final. And that seemed to be a resonating theme throughout this movie. We've talked about the roller coaster of emotions that you um, experience watching this film. and it just made sense to have that quote at the end. 
and life goes on. Like I said, um, people, humans, societies, cultures go through crazy stuff throughout history, and yet, you know, it's never the end. I think we're seeing the end. <laughs> that's how I feel like that's how it's felt several times. Like every generation has that like mm-hmm. decade where you're like, "What is <laughs> happening? Is this it?" Yeah. You know. What's well, like when Stanley Kubrick <laughs> made um, Doctor Strangelove or How I Learned to Stop <laughs> Loving the Bomb or whatever? He uh, made that film like literally during a time when the U.S. and Soviet Union were like at they were at odds with each other. Mm -hmm. It was during the Cold War and he made that film right when it was happening. Mm -hmm. And some people can say at the time, oh, that was insensitive or oh, he pulled too many punches or he pulled too, you know, enough punches. Like, um, yeah, I think a guy riding a missile down isn't, that's pulling no punches. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying like, being a cowboy, yeah. Yeah. Back then, he was pushing it. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) but I mean, that could be what the consciousness was about at that time. I don't. We don't know if that's how he he was feeding upon like what's going on I, ideologically during uh, that time in Hollywood. Um, yeah, it happens in every era. Mm-hmm. Like there is like a leaning towards that political spectrum. Like whose side are you on? Mm-hmm. Like come on, this is America. Like we we blow everything up. Like this is how we end conflict. You know, yeah. Um, whether or not they made that film during that era or many years after, like Jojo the Rabbit, um, yeah, there. I don't know. There are many different approaches to it, and I think when it comes to satire, I think they're doing. I think they're doing just enough. Maybe they have to hit too much. I think on the explicit side, like we know that the war is harsher than what Jojo is like showing. True. Most people viewing it. Yeah, like, we I've know seen that. other like, Nazi, Adolf Hitler. Like World we War know II that movies. we know that Hitler was a terrible human being. We mm-hmm. know how sickening he was. We know about the camps and stuff. I don't think the film needed to show us like all that stuff. I'll say more like I'm pessimistic about the future and our Silicon Valley overlords. <laughs> mm. Check out the podcast. Rate the podcast. <laughs> 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 but yeah i think uh we said a lot today on our episode um do we have any lasting like thoughts that we want to end on and again i want to like say thank you to abby for joining us on this episode (laughs) thanks for having me um thank you for hosting us as well Uh, we're having a really great time um thank you for all the for dinner, like we had pesto pasta and like really great drinks. And, um, yeah, like this has been a fantastic uh, experience. I'd say. Yeah. So thank you. It's been really fun. Thanks for having me. But yeah, I think with that being said, uh, pretty much end of the episode of Jojo the Rabbit. Um, again, if you're listening to us for the first time, like definitely follow us on Instagram at Lay Film Podcast. Or even um, email us at layfilmpodcast at gmail.com if you want to send us some film recommendations. Or are there any points that um, that resonate with you and you wanted to respond to us? Or you even want to counter some of our points? Um, definitely reach out to us. 
And yeah, we are on iTunes and Spotify, so definitely check us out and review us. And thank you again for listening in.